Uh, if you're, hopefully by now, you're at our text for today, Philippians chapter 1. And our text today is verses 12 through 20, which we'll read uh, just in a second. But I want to kind of prep you for it. Um, this is, again, the letter to the church in Philippi is a missionary update. Paul, who loves these people, and these people love him. He's writing them a letter to give them some updates, some reminders, some um, encouragement, um, some ways to continue to obey and to follow, and some warnings. It's a personal update to people who care about him. Our verses today primarily answer this question. Remember, it's letter to a church to people he loves, but also a letter to a group of people that love him. And so they're curious about him. They're wondering how he's doing. And so our text today, verses 12 through 20, primarily answer this question. How are you, Paul? How are you doing? How are your circumstances? How's your health? They're so curious about uh, Paul, the church planter, the one who uh, began this work there and is continuing to pray for them and pour into them and help them. They're curious about how he's doing. And so for a paragraph, verses 12 through 20, he's going to primarily answer that question. So let's read our text today and see with those eyes kind of how this conversation is going back and forth. And by the Spirit's uh, leading, we'll learn what the Lord has for us today. Our text says this, verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord for my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Church, for the last two weeks, Pastor Todd showed us verses 3 through 11. And verses 3 through 11 is primarily a prayer for the people in Philippi. Paul loves these people, and he's reminding them of what his hope, his desire is for them. And he prays a prayer for them. And now verses 12 through 20 is, a, is Paul's update and a prayer for himself. He reflects on his own life and his own circumstances a little bit. And we will end our sermon today looking at verse 20, which is exactly the specific prayer Paul wants this church to be praying for him. But what strikes me as so profound about this text, I think this is so interesting, and I hope you caught it. What's so profound about this text is rather than Paul 
discussing the details of his circumstances, right? He doesn't address like where he is or what his conditions are like, what his health is like. Like there's a lot of, of color he could have added to his circumstance. That's what these people primarily probably are wondering. Like, hey, Paul, how are you doing? What's going on? Give us an update. He kind of glazes over the details, yet he prefers to discuss the results of his circumstances. He jumps right to the positive benefits of, the, of what's happening because he's in prison. This is profound and interesting, and I think also is a huge demonstration of spiritual maturity and humility. Paul could have. He could have uh, 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 colored a piece of paper, filled a piece of paper with details about his circumstance. But again, his love for the people shares with them probably what was on his mind of greater importance. Like, I'm not going to just share with you things that are going to stress you out, make you nervous, make you worry about me. Rather, what I want to do is share with you reasons to rejoice. Tell you the results of my circumstance. He has this glass half full, this optimism of even though his circumstances are bleak, he shares with them the overflow of his heart, the positive ramifications of his imprisonment. I love that. I think that's so interesting and helpful for us as Christians who are maturing and growing in our own humility to see how that the world without those type of eyes. You see, the emphasis here isn't that his circumstances don't matter, but rather that the results of his circumstances matter more. That's what comes out of Paul's mouth. You and I have all experienced this on some level. There's been something we've wanted to accomplish, and therefore we were willing to suffer to get the goal accomplished. Whatever that goal was, you understood it's going to take work, it's going to take effort, and the goal helped you to keep going. The goal is worth the effort. At the end of our message today, we are going to um, send off our Kazakhstan team uh, with some prayer and bring them up and introduce them to you. And I'm so excited for that team. For two months, they get to go to Central Asia to declare the goodness of God, to highly honor Christ with their bodies. And I'm so excited for them. But I can tell you this, I do not envy the trip there. It's terrible. I've been there. It is a long terrible trip. It takes over 16 hours sitting on a small seat in a terrible, uncomfortable place just to get to this place. But I promise you, you can go up to the service after any of them, and they will say that that 16-hour play ride is a mere inconvenience in order to get into Kazakhstan. They have those eyes of optimism and excitement for the goal of sharing the gospel, presenting Jesus to these, these people, to help these partners, to be a part of the work that God is doing in Central Asia. What's a mere 16 year, hours in a prison, right? They have those type of eyes. And this seems to be Paul's mindset as well. You can imagine these people in Philippi are so worried about Paul. And what is Paul's reply? Don't worry, rejoice. This is a mere inconvenience sitting in jail because the gospel is going forward. What I wanna show you today quickly through our Bible study is three results. Paul seems to lay out for us three results from his imprisonment. 
They're all positive. You'll notice that. That's his optimism, his excitement. Three positive results of Paul's imprisonment. And then we'll apply these to our life. The first one that Paul shares is in verse 12, and it's the advancement of the gospel. A positive result of Paul's imprisonment is the advancement of the gospel. It says in verse 12, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Because of Paul's imprisonment, the whole imperial guard, and then he adds this phrase, and everyone else, like not the guard, but even those that are around the guard, that are in the vicinity, like everyone in this area is hearing about my faith in Christ. They're hearing about my story, my testimony, who I am now, I'm a new creation, my story of being converted from Saul to Paul, like the word is spreading about what Christ has done. And they know it's all because of my relationship with Jesus, because of who I am, what I identify as. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. You see, Paul sees the impact being made by his new life circumstances, and he's filled with joy. He's almost wording it that way, like, I, I just moved. I just now reside in prison. Like, I, I moved from Indiana to Iowa. Like, what's the big deal? My new circumstances, here's the result of my new circumstances. Christ is being glorified. Paul is grateful for his imprisonment because it advanced the gospel message. Isn't that shocking? That's staggering. It's Mother's Day, so I've got to shout out my own mom for just a moment. Not many of you know my mom, but maybe a few of you in this room do. If you were to get to meet my mom, you will learn two things. Number one, a lot of odd things happen to her. I don't know if it's her or, sir, I don't know, whatever it is. She seems to find trouble or odd circumstances. I'm not sure what it is. So it's so fun talking to my mom because she has stories. She's just filled, every time you call her or talk to her, she's got an unbelievable story. You'll just be like, what? How is this possible? All these things happen to the same person. I don't know how it's possible. That's my mom. The second thing is true of my mom. Every odd circumstance that happens to her, she uses it as a gospel presentation. Every single time. I'll tell you, this is how every phone call goes with my mom. She'll say, Travis, you'll never believe it. And I'm like, well, I already know to believe it because whatever you're about to share is, just makes sense. So uh, this happened to me or my flight got canceled or I got lost or my car broke down, just some crazy story. And she ends every single story this way. But Travis, I got to share the gospel with him. I got to talk about Jesus. I got to invite him to church. That's just my mom. Like that's just who she is. The natural conversation that bubbles out of my mom is Jesus, who he is and what he's done. I don't think I've ever heard her complain about those circumstances. She loves to tell you the crazy story and then how it led to Jesus. So she'll say like, man, my flight got canceled. I, got, I had to sit next to this guy for eight hours and for seven of those hours, he heard about Jesus. That's just a normal conversation that goes with my, mom, with my mom. That's just who she is. My mom's a lot like Paul. Paul is content in prison because the gospel opportunities it created. The second thing we notice from our text is that brothers have gained confidence and speak the word now fearlessly. Look at verse 14. Most of the brothers have gained. See that wording? 
because of his imprisonment, most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. Paul here tells us that his imprisonment and mistreatment has actually fueled the boldness of the church. Rather than scaring the Christians into hiding, they have become more bold in their evangelism. That's what you would assume would happen, right? Like I can just imagine the imperial guards, the Romans are like, let's make an example out of one of them. Go get that Paul guy. Let's throw him into prison. Let's mistreat him. Let's treat him terribly. That'll get the Christians to shut up, right? That's probably the scenario that's going on, except the opposite, complete opposite happens. The brothers are emboldened to share the gospel even more fearlessly. You see, the interesting thing about persecution is, is that it usually fuels greater boldness. It's one of the results of persecution. And this historically is true. You can look through the 2,000 years of the church growing and expanding, the gospel going forward, and it's usually persecution that fuels gospel expansion. The very thing persecution is meant to prohibit, it fuels. This is why Paul rejoices. If this is what it takes, to get the gospel to the ends of the world, minor inconvenience. What's the big deal? When Christians see and hear stories of fellow Christians boldly suffering for their faith, it ignites something inside of us to do the same rather than to hide. You ever hear of like a story of a persecution or a bold Christian? You get envy, don't you? Like, man, I wanna be on the front lines. It's incredible what they're doing. Seeing people come to faith or telling uh, people who've never heard the name of Jesus about Jesus. Like, why am I sitting in America? That sounds incredible. I want to be a part of that. You've probably heard this famous quote before, but I I think this is an interesting explanation of it. A preacher named L.E. Maxwell put it this way. You've heard the first part of this quote, but I'll explain it to you. He says this, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. You've probably heard that before. It was the blood of the martyrs that actually got the church to go and to advance. Then he he clarifies it this, this way. When she, the church, ceases to bleed, when she, the church, ceases to bleed, she ceases to bless. She, the church, thrives through persecution but never through peace and plenty. That's the story of the church. The advancement of the gospel, the advancement of the church, the success of the church has been through persecution, not through peace and plenty. Isn't that fascinating? That's why Paul's rejoicing. He knows that. Another famous story that you know is of Jim Elliot. You know that story? Jim Elliott and his four friends, they go to Ecuador. They're pilots. They want to share the gospel with this people group. They're they're courageous and bold to go share the gospel in Ecuador, and they're murdered for their gospel presentations. The the folks there didn't know who they were, thought they were a threat, and murdered them. As I was studying for this text, I came across this quote about Jim Elliott. Listen to this. This is so beautiful. 
he, th this writer says it this way. The places of service vacated by those men. So what he's saying is because of the deaths of those five, the places of service vacated by those men were filled many times over by young men and women moved and motivated by their selfless sacrifice. Five go and die. In their place, hundreds, because five went. He says this, 50 years later, the effects continue to be felt. Do you think they, those five, regret going? Do you think they regret giving their life for God? No, because of their willingness, hundreds go, and the effect is still being felt today. You see, Paul's suffering sparked boldness in the church. He's sitting in prison and something's happening outside because of his circumstances. And for that, Paul rejoices. The third response, the third reality because of Paul's imprisonment is in verses 15 through 17. He says this, to be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. The third reality or result is that more people are preaching and now proclaiming the gospel because of Paul's imprisonment. Paul's boldness and imprisonment had somehow started a movement of not just personal evangelism, but of gospel preachers and proclaimers. Something happened because of Paul's imprisonment. It didn't just affect those who knew Paul. A movement started of bold proclaimers of Jesus and gospel presenters. And Paul, sitting in prison, hears these stories. And even with some warning and some caution brought with these stories, like, hey, just a heads up, not everyone's doing it for the right motives. Some are doing it out of envy, some out of rivalry, some just to make your imprisonment worse. And he's like, okay. He hears all this. He kind of ponders this. And so Paul is weighing this and trying to decide, how do I hear this news? And somehow Paul comes to the conclusion that it's a net win. He hears these stories of these of people out of rivalry and, and, and self-motivation or impure motivation. And he still comes to the conclusion, you know what? Praise God. Praise God. At least the gospel is being proclaimed. From his prison cell, he can't control the how or the why of these gospel proclamations, but he trusts the method. You hear that? He takes all this information, he boils it down. Like, what are they doing? Oh, they're proclaiming Christ? That's the method. I'm okay with that. I can live with that. As long as they're proclaiming Christ, that's a net win. Yeah, their motives may be impure. The how may be not great. Like, I wish I could control that. But are they proclaiming Christ? Then it's worth it. It's awesome. Just want to reveal a little bit of truth about who I am, a little bit about me. I'm typically skeptical. If you share news with me, if I read something on the internet or whatever, I, I'm just a skeptic. I'm a, I'm a hole poker. You know, I, I, I have a hard time watching movies because I'm a plot hole finder. Like, I'm just typically skeptical. 
And for some reason, I love like the church news and the world. And so I follow these social media accounts that tell you about what's happening throughout the world, in the US, all these stories. And often, this is just the reality of being Travis, is I'll hear these news of, of, of large church gatherings, like hundreds of thousands in South Korea being gathered together, huge numbers of people being converted and baptized, 10,000 are led to Christ in the Amazon, and I'll hear all these, all these amazing newses, or revivals breaking out for weeks at a time, people singing and praising God. Here's who I am. I'm typically skeptical. I just hear those stories and I'm like, eh, I don't know. They don't really sound like God. Like, I don't know why I do that. It's just my sinful nature. Problem I gotta continue to work on. In those moments, I seem to lean towards skepticism. And as I was reading this text and studying this text, I was overcome with conviction of God. Well, God was asking me, why? Why do you doubt what I do? Why do you doubt what's happening in the world? Don't, doesn't mean you can't use discernment and, and find out and do research. That's fine. But why are you typically skeptical when it comes to these things? And I was really convicted about that idea of the method. Church, what do we believe? How do people come to faith? By hearing the word of God. Hearing the gospel proclaimed. Is God bigger than false motivations and impure motivations? Absolutely. The method is still true. When Christ is proclaimed, people come to faith. And in that, I should rejoice. See, there's two typical ways we can handle news or information like this. The first would be to squash it, right? That's, that's me. Like Travis, you'd be like, call it fake, debunk it, ridicule it, mock it. Like, that can't be it. Come on. They gotta be up to something. Or... Or trust God. Trust God that he's bigger than man's impure motivations. Trust God that he can use the preaching of the word, preaching of Christ to bring people to salvation. You see, if Christ is being proclaimed, it's a net win. That's how Paul is sitting in prison, lost control over how, but he's rejoicing in the fact that Christ is proclaimed. You see, studying this text has challenged me to consider my attitude. And when I hear things of, or of great things that has happened in the world, to, to rejoice that Christ is being proclaimed and trust that God's in charge. Paul is rejoicing in his circumstances rather than sorrowing because he knows that his life's purpose is being accomplished. Christ is being proclaimed and he tells those he loves, don't worry, rejoice. God's in charge, he's on the move, people are coming to faith. Church, those are the three results, those are the three things that Paul shares. Just as we move along in our text and our sermon today, I'd like to just take you a moment for you to now consider your circumstances. None of us are sitting in prison, home arrest, we're here, but we all have difficulties and hardships and there's small s sufferings probably we're all dealing with in some way or fashion. I'd ask you just for a moment to consider your sufferings. Consider your circumstances. How are you handling the details of your circumstances? We all have them. How are you handling yours? Are you whining and complaining or are you rejoicing that God may be using those very circumstances for greater gospel 
proclamation. I want to ask you just a couple questions to consider that maybe in your circumstances right now, maybe God is doing a very similar thing. Those three things that, that Paul said are true of his imprisonment may be true of your circumstances. Is it possible that your new life circumstances are leading to one of these three things? Number one, an increased opportunity for you to share the gospel. Have you thought about that? You know, sometimes we like the word, it's easy to just say like, I got a new job or I moved or I'm in a new place now or I got a new neighbor. It's easy to just kind of say it as circumstances or to see it as what it most likely is. It's a new opportunity. It's a new gospel opportunity for you to proclaim Jesus in that new environment. Is it possible that God has you in your new surrounding for a very specific purpose, to proclaim Jesus to those you're with? Change your perspective and see what God is using, how he is using you. Can you imagine, just for a moment, we'll just, just, we'll just pick on First Family Church for a second, right? Say there's 900 of us. Can you imagine what would be true if 900 people who gather here on a Sunday morning t- uh, throughout the week are sharing the gospel at principle? and Wells Fargo, and John Deere, Ankeny High School, Centennial. We had 900 gospel proclaimers who when we said at the end of every service, you are now sent, actually were sent. And they went to wherever they went that week with the gospel on their tongue. Can you imagine what would be true? Now compound that by all the gospel preaching churches in our town with all the legitimate believers in our city. If all of us saw our workplace and our environment as a gospel opportunity, can you imagine what would be true? Let's have those eyes for what God has done. The second one, is it possible that your new life circumstances may lead you to encourage your loved ones to be bold? See, what Paul's doing is he's just being who he was meant to be. He's being bold and he's sharing that news and that setting a fire in other believers. Church, this is what we're meant to be, to encourage one another to do the same. It's this idea of, of um, positive peer pressure. You're sharing the gospel. I hear about that. I'm encouraged by what you're doing. You're telling me about your neighbor that you're working on and all of this is just the church uh, iron, of, uh, iron sharpening iron, fueling one another up, getting motivated to do the same Praise God for the stories of people coming to faith and being baptized. All of those fuel the passion inside of each one of us to do the same. We need you to tell us about what God, how he's using you to encourage each other. That's what Paul was doing for the church in Philippi. And then lastly, is it possible that your circumstance may lead to a testimony to the whole body? A story to the whole body. In this, you too can rejoice. Let me, I think sometimes God allows individuals to go through hard, hard times to produce a beautiful, beautiful story. And because of the brilliance of technology and in the internet and social media, we now have a platform to declare the wonders of God to the world. And is it possible that your story, your circumstances, is telling a beautiful story that would encourage the world, the, God, the, the church, around the nation, around the world of what God is doing in your life? Would you run from that? If that was true, the story that God is putting together of your circumstances of what God is about. 
we would embrace that, that my life is meant to tell a story of the goodness of God, I'm willing to walk down that hard, hard roll. So church, I have a heavy question for you to consider. This question's a little in your face. I'm not very in your face very often, but this one's a little in your face, and it comes from the text, just something to consider. Is your response to your life circumstances, what does it matter? Only that in every way Christ is proclaimed. Or are you hiding, running, or trying to escape? Notice that's Paul's response, right? He's sitting in prison, falsely accused. He's um, being belittled. He's being mocked. They're treating him poorly. There's false proclaimers of the gospel. He gets all these news and he's like, oh well, my circumstance isn't that important. As long as the gospel is being proclaimed, as long as Christ being proclaimed, what does it matter? only that in every way Christ is proclaimed. Is that your attitude? Is that my attitude? Again, the point isn't that your circumstances don't matter, but rather that the circumstances pale in comparison to the results of Christ being proclaimed. The results are of more importance. It's a greater story than the story of my circumstances. I do just want to address verse 19. I don't want to be said of me that I skipped a difficult verse. So let me address verse 19. Verse 19 is kind of an interesting verse. It reads this way. Because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the spirit of Jesus Christ. I want to address that word salvation. Whenever you're doing Bible study, exegeting the text, um, understanding scripture, there's one good strategy that I'd really encourage you to do. And those of you that our churchgoers know your Bibles pretty well, have a basic understanding of theology. A good place to start is, I know for sure what it can't mean. That's a good place to start. You see this word salvation, maybe you don't know Greek real well, and you're like, I don't know what to do with that text. What do you know it can't mean? Here's one thing we know for sure. It doesn't mean justification. It doesn't mean that this will lead to Paul's eternal re redemption and forgiveness. Paul, there's nothing about Paul that is works-based salvation. Everything about Paul is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That is Paul. And so what do we do with this text? I want to give you, if you're taking notes, you're putting this in your journal, something good to talk about in your, uh, in your small groups, I want to give you some synonyms for this word salvation that I think Paul meant. Here's the story. Paul was pretty convinced he was not going to be in prison forever. Paul thought he was going to be freed. So when he uses that word salvation, he's assuming it will mean his freedom from prison. Through your prayers and the work of the Holy Spirit, I'm getting out of here. But it could also mean, here's two synonyms for you, vindication or validation. Again, Paul's innocent. He's sitting in prison for false charges He's just, he's just being treated poorly because he's, a, he's a, um, a threat to Rome. That's the reason he's thrown in jail. And so he knows that through the people's prayers and the work of the Holy Spirit, he will be at least minimally vindicated, validated, that all he's doing is preaching the truth, that he's not a liar about Jesus Christ. 
So I just want to explain that real quickly. You can discuss that more in your small groups. You can challenge it. I just think that's a helpful understanding of verse 19. I don't want you to go through this text and just trip over verse 19. Like, I don't know what to do with it. Paul thinks he's getting out, or it could mean this validation or vindication. I think that's helpful. I love, now let's get to the end of the text, verse 20. I love how this paragraph ends. Paul now shares a prayer request for himself. This is another beautiful picture of gospel humility, is when we ask for others to pray for us. I do, I do believe that the book of Philippians is one beautiful case study on humility. You could summarize one of the themes, there's many, one of the themes of the book of Philippians is humility. What it looks like to be um, desperate for, for God. And here Paul, in verse 20, begs for help. He asks for them to pray on his behalf, which is a little ironic because he's Paul, right? Like he's this superstar Christian or whatever, and yet he's here pleading for them to pray for him. I love this idea too, is that arrogant people boast, humble people beg. Here's you see Paul begging for their prayers. Great picture of gospel humility. Arrogant people will boast, but humble people will beg. I need help. I'm not good enough. I'm too weak. I need your help. Pray for me. Beautiful picture of gospel humility. So let's look now at Paul's prayer in verse 20 and see that these three things should be the same things we're praying for today. What is the first thing Paul prays for? In verse 20, I will not be ashamed about anything with all courage. Paul is praying, asking this church to pray for him that he will be courageous. Can you name anybody more courageous than Paul? I'm coming up short with a list of anyone I can think of more courageous than Paul. But that's what Paul's prayer is. Ask for prayer is that he would be courageous. Here's why. Because Paul knows how easy it is to be timid in the middle of difficult circumstances. He knows how simple it would be to hide to shut up, to be quiet, to not speak about Jesus. He knows that at any moment he could be a coward for the name of Jesus. He says, you gotta pray for boldness for me. I know I'm a pretty bold dude, but you gotta pray for boldness for me, for courage. The second thing Paul prays for is that Christ would be highly honored in his body. That no matter what, no, everything he does, everything that Paul does is that he would honor Christ. Here's, I think, why Paul asks for that prayer is because Paul knows how easy it is to be the one who is highly honored. Man, Paul's this superstar Christian. He's this celebrity Christian, right? He's getting people to visit him, bring him gifts. He, like he's writing to the churches. Like He's a pretty big deal. Paul knows how simple it would be to accept the pats on the back the good old boy, well done. Like He feels that and he knows that brings no honor and glory to God. Everything I do is for his name's sake. I want to magnify him in everything I do. So church, pray for me that everything I do is to highly honor him and to not receive those honors, to give them to Jesus because he is worthy of it. And then the last thing he prays for is that whether by life or by death. No matter what happens to me, that I would honor God. No matter if I live 20 more years, I get out of prison, or if I die. 
Whatever happens to me, I pray that I would honor God. Pastor Todd's gonna talk about this more next week. How do we honor God with our life and with our death? But I just wanna give you a question to ponder. Again, it's a little in your face, but just something good to consider. You see, Paul knows how easy it is to assume that the greatest proclamation happens through our lives, right? Like, that's just logical. The greatest proclamation is if I'm alive and I have a microphone. Consider this. Church, just consider this for a moment. What if the greatest gospel proclamation were the result of your death rather than your life? What if the greatest gospel proclamation comes at your funeral? Would you be okay with that? Would you be worthy of accepting that role where the greatest gospel proclamation were to become from your death? No one likes that. No one likes thinking about that. No one wants to consider their death. But I think Paul had that on his mind, that, man, I'm gonna proclaim Christ. I don't care how, whether it be through my letters, my speaking, gospel presentations, or whether by my death. Whatever happens to me, whatever lot I'm given, as long as Christ is proclaimed, that's the goal in life. Verse 20 is Paul's prayer for himself, but it should be all of our prayers for ourselves as well. Heavenly Father God, would you, would you make us courageous? Would you make us not afraid of man? Would you help us to show up at work tomorrow at 8 a.m., wherever we show up with the gospel on our lips? Would we not be afraid of our coworker or our boss or our teacher or our neighbor? Help us to be fearless for anyone who we interact with and only be willing to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, would you help us to highly honor you in everything we do, whether it be at work, at home with the kids, mowing the lawn, whatever it is, God, would you help us to highly honor you in all things? And then God, lastly, would you help us to proclaim Christ, whether it be in my life or in my unavoidable death? See, Christians, I hate to break the news to you, but 100% of humans die. What do you want to be remembered for? What do you want to be said at your funeral? Who do you want to be highly honored at your funeral? I tell you right now, I want Christ to be magnified. It's not about us, is it? He gave us life. He gave us breath. He gave us salvation. He gave us a purpose. What do we have to hang our hat on? It's all from him. Church, let me summarize this to you in a take-home truth, maybe a take-home challenge, a take-home encouragement, however you want to word this. Whatever circumstances I find myself in, my aim will be that Christ will be highly honored. I think that's Paul's prayer for himself and what our prayer should be for ourselves. Whatever, whatever lot we receive, I pray that we all highly honor Christ. Church, I just want to conclude our sermon today with a moment of prayer. I'm going to ask you to pray for three specific types of people, three categories of people. I'm going to 
reference. I'm going to tell you what these categories are and just give you 10, 15 seconds. One of the things the church should do is pray for one another. Just like Paul said, pray for me. Pray, pray that I do these things. Pray that I live this way. Church, can we be that type of church that prays towards those ends for our people? And for sure, as a pastor and an elder here, I know more about the circumstances of our people, but God will bring names to mind. God will bring thoughts and ideas to your head of who to pray for. So I'm just going to give you a category of people and just silently, quietly in your chair, pray for whoever God bring, names God brings to your mind. The first category of people I want you to pray for is those with difficult health situations. The elders, the prayer team, we have a long list of people at First Family Church that fall into this category. We pray for you every Tuesday morning. The prayer team prays for you every Wednesday night. And we pray that God would be highly honored in your body. We pray that whatever happens, that you would bring honor and glory to him, that his name would be magnified. Church, whatever names come to your mind the moment I said that circumstance, would you pray for them right now? Pray that God would give them endurance and faithfulness to be bold proclaimers of him in spite of their circumstances. Pray for our dear brothers and sisters that have difficult health situations. The second category of people I want you to pray for, whatever names come to your mind, is those with difficult life circumstances. Now, maybe you're like, I can't think of anybody. We have living a pretty good life, so let me just bring some ideas to your mind. Maybe these are people around the world, our partners, missionaries around the globe that are mistreated for being a follower of Christ. Again, it could be a missionary or a partner, or it could be one of us. Maybe one of you guys that has a toxic work environment where it's not safe to be a Christian. It's not easy to be a Christian at your workplace. You're mocked and picked on for being religious, for being devout. Or maybe you, can, you know of somebody, or this is you, that it's, it's not easy, it's not safe to be a believer around your family members your cousins and uncles and siblings and they poke fun at you. They mock you for coming to a building every Sunday morning and wasting your weekend worshiping Jesus. Would you just pray for whatever names God brings to your mind, those people that it's difficult to be a Christian. Pray that God would give them boldness and strength, that they'd stay devout to him and faithful in their proclamation of the gospel to whoever's in their life. The last category I want you to pray for is our moms. Our moms, I hope you know the incredible responsibility God has given to you to be a gospel proclaimer. He has entrusted you with lives who the greatest thing, their greatest need is to hear the story of Jesus. And it's not easy being a mom. Would you pray for whatever moms come to your mind? Those with little kids who 
day in and day out, devote their lives to that child's well-being. Pray for them that they'd be courageous and bold proclaimers of the gospel day in and day out without wearying, without growing weary, without giving up. That every morning, every afternoon, every night, they'd be proclaimers of the gospel to those children. Moms, you may feel like you're in prison, but through your conduct and speech, you have the opportunity to highly honor Christ to your kids. I pray that you would endure. Pray for the moms in the room. Pray for those that come to your mind that you think of. Church, can I pray for us? Heavenly Father, God, we are so thankful for the beauty of your word, so grateful for this text. I pray that we would not be surprised by difficulty. We'd be prepared and ready. Pray that you'd help us, give us the strength we need to endure, to stay strong, that we would care more about the proclamation of the gospel than we would our circumstances. Help us to quit fighting for an easy life, but to rather to strive to get the gospel to the ends of the world. Father, I pray, I do, I pray for those with difficult health circumstances right now, that you'd give them strength to endure, to continue to represent you well to their doctors and physicians, to their family members, whoever they encounter. I pray for those with difficult life circumstances where it's not easy to be a Christian. Give them boldness today. I pray for our partners around the globe today, that they would stand strong for you even when it's hard. And I pray for our moms. I pray that the gospel would be the first thing on their lips, that they'd be more excited to teach their children about Jesus than anything else. They would teach their children to be bold and brave and strong followers of you. Thank you for our godly moms. Heavenly Father, we love you. I pray that we would all be bold proclaimers of the gospel in Jesus' name.